0: Amen. Good morning. Have a seat. I like going 120, frankly. <laughs> you've got to pick the right roads now. You know, you've got to use... But there are roads that can handle 120. Trust me, I know about this. <laughs> <sighs> Open your Bibles to Romans 8. It's so good to be with you I'm with Pastor Nick and to be here in White Oak Amen. today with you. I was so uh, excited. My wife couldn't be with me. She's in North Carolina. Uh, as we speak, and while you're turning there, there's a there's a book table. I just released my first book called The God Who Intervenes a month ago, and you're there. I brought some for you. You can purchase after the service, but you're in this book. Uh, how Bridge City Church started is 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 we throughout this book. Matter of fact, as you read this book, you're going to say, "That's why we do this. That's why this is so important. That's why they make a big deal." You know that mission thing. There's a reason why we do that. That's the reason why over, you know, almost 40 years we've given millions of dollars and sent thousands of people on the mission fields. Amen. There's a reason. And it wasn't because we had a good idea. It's because we encountered a living God who intervened in our life. And so this is my story of 40 years of ministry with some teaching moments. And your history, you know, this is kind of a, like a legacy there. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of it. So when the book got released, I had calls from a couple of people who read the book who didn't knew me but didn't know me real well. And they said, listen, there's some things that when you're preaching, you you got to walk people through this. Then they shared this. So that's, I, I, as I listened to them, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm just going to slow myself down. I'm going to walk people through this. He said, because you're sharing stuff that people need to grab uh, so they can be part of what God wants to do in intervening in their life. So I want to talk to you about fear this morning, okay? Because I'm a fear hater. You know, there are fear mongers and there are fear haters. I'm a fear hater. I hate fear. I hate what fear does. Fear is a slap at the face of Jesus in the cross. God does not want you living under a spirit of fear. So let's go to Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm just going to read about four verses of Scripture there. Romans 8, and we're going to pick it up in verse 14. I'm reading from the NASB. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Fear is slavery. But you have received, not going to, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. By which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's Daddy, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies within our spirit exactly what Pastor Nick was just talking about, that we are the children of God. There's some things I may not be, there's some things I may not be sure of, but I'm going to tell you what I do know. I knew who my daddy is, okay? I know that I was born a first time, and I know I was surely born again a second time. And I carry his attributes and his divine nature and his power works within me. Not because I went to Bible school, not because I'm a pastor, not because I got a microphone on Sunday morning, but because I got born again, the same born again you got. Okay? No no difference, all right? Uh, And if children heirs and also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified together with him so i want to talk to you about this fear you know you can't get good at facing fear if you don't deal with fear any more you can get good with sw- at swimming if you don't deal with water okay okay So you got to understand that being afraid of being afraid is the worst type of fear. And there's a lot of people who navigate their whole lives and they avoid purposely any type of situation where they're going to have, like, I'm going to have to break through this. If you do that, you'll live safe, maybe, but you won't have any rewards. You'll miss the zest of life. You'll miss the blessing of life. And and, and at the end of this day, I would like you to walk out here saying, you know what? By God's grace, I'm not going to be afraid to be afraid. I'm not going to operate in the spirit of self-preservation. I'm going to let the God who intervenes flow through my life and touch me and do something great in my life. Fear, you know, fear is the most common human frailty. It paralyzes people. It controls people. It robs people. It steals from people. Now, Part of this verse we read in Romans just doesn't talk about our inheritance. Listen to me. It talks about the inheritance of Christ. And where you find that really clearly is in the Bible is in Psalm 2, verses 7 and 8. He, and this is a prophetic psalm talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus is in the whole Bible. You know that, right? Yep. Jesus lit, like wasn't a New Testament phenomenon. Everything that was made was made through him and by him and for him. With nothing was made that was made. Are you, are you with me? Everything came through him. He was, he, was, he was present in the beginning when he created the beginning. Okay? But he said, ask of me. This is the, his to the Father. And I will give you the inheritance for your nation and the people for your possession. One of the reasons that God has set you free is not just to bless you, Okay, but that you would receive an inheritance. Those are two different things. An inheritance is something that you can't take with you, or you can't take with you. You know, people say, well, you know, you can't take it with you. They're only partly right. There's a lot of things you have you can't take with you, but you can take your inheritance with you, and that inheritance is the people whose lives you touch. God wants you to be free so you can be a life impactor and a life toucher, and you can have an inheritance so that you're not, you know, silenced, that you don't hold back, that you don't just operate in the blessings, all right? now. I know a little bit about fear because I feel like I've confronted fear a lot of my life. I knew about fear as a kid growing up, you know, just we had a rough life growing up. My mother was married and divorced six times. You know, I I feared where we were going to live. I feared if we were going to have food to eat. I, I feared, you know, nine schools and seven grades, you know what I mean? grew up fighting because that's what you had to do, you know, when you moved around like that. So I know about that kind of fear. I know. I know the fear as an adult when the phone rings at two in the morning and it's an uh, operator saying your son's been life flighted, was in a terrible accident. You know, you you know your hour and some, and you got to get in that car and pray in tongues. I know. I, I know what that's like. I know what that's what that fear is like. I know the common day fears of you know taking care of your family and trying to be, uh, uh you know, a decent human being, you know. But I've experienced some other fears too, that. On the outside, you you shy away from. But once you break through them, that's what opens up your inheritance. I know the fear of a federal judge looking at me and saying, "If you don't stop your pro life stuff, I'm going to come. I'm going to take everything you own. You 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 won't you won't see the light of day." (laughs) Okay, that I'm going to tell you. To say that there wasn't fear there would be a lie. Are you are you with me? But to stay in that fear would be a mistake. There's a difference. Okay, I, I mean, probably the people, people have asked me this, like, what was the most fearful thing that ever happened to you? I'd probably say when I got arrested in Egypt. Okay, I went to United Nations. I was minding my own business. See, a lot of times, if you're just being led by the Spirit, God will, you won't have to worry about getting yourself in trouble. God will help you. And here, now here's my theory. I'd rather get in trouble for God than be in trouble with God. Okay. And some of you right now in your walk with God, you're in trouble with God because you're not willing to get in trouble for God. Because fear is paralyzing you. Some mining own business office and Wendy Wright calls me. Wendy used to work with us, she was on her staff, and then she left. And later, you've probably seen her on Fox News. She was a president of Concern Women for America for many years. And she called me and said, They're doing this. This population control conference in, in, in Egypt, and you ought to go. I said, well, thanks, Wendy, for your opinion. That's really great. You want to cash a check with my body, you know? I got, all kind of, I got all kind of friends like that, and I hung up the phone, and I felt like the Lord said, yeah. But you had to have press credentials to get in, and, you know, I knew a guy that owned a newspaper. You know, one thing leads another. I end up in Egypt, and uh, a United Nations conference, and, uh, you know, and this stuff, I mean, it's ghastly. I mean, it's ghastly what they're doing to control populations and force sterilization on women in poor nations and connecting it to United States aid. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, okay? And so you're, you're, you're in the press pool and you're asking questions, you know, because you know what you're talking about. I'm fairly educated in those, in those areas. And uh, and so a little while, and a guy comes and grabs my credentials, and he's a CIA, Secret Service actually, you know, the antenna near and the, the little oozy bump, you know. And, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and, and so somebody reported me to Timothy Worth, the undersecretary of Global Force, that I was a terrorist. So I was arrested in Egypt. I, had, I spent the night in jail with five Muslim guys with machine guns all night long. Okay, this is not like in the travel plan, okay? Was I afraid? I was afraid, can I just tell you? But I was committed to not staying afraid. Now, here's the key. And where that came in was in my life prior to that, I had learned to get in the water with fear and not run from it, but to run at it. you got to learn to swim upstream sometimes. And and there may be little paralyzations in your life right now that you've tolerated, that you almost fellowship with. They've just become normal. You might even make jokes about them, but I'm telling you, they are stealing your inheritance because they're designed to silence you and stop you from acting to get a harvest to bring people to Christ in Jesus' name. You know, Pastor Nick talked about giving. You know, can I just tell you when people don't, you know what I learned as a pastor? There's not people, I've had people say, well, I don't give. I said, no, no, you can't give because you're paralyzed. Giving is not about money, giving is about fear. And when you're not giving, it's really a sign that fear has crept in the fear of provision, the fear of being taken care of, the fear that God is not really your father. Hello, that's good preaching. Listen to me. And that's why you have to break through. That is not an option. You've got to bust through that thing in Jesus' name. Or you're just going to get your toes wet and you're never going to get in the water and really learn to swim the way God wants you, That God wants you to swim. Now, here's one of the problems we face, okay, as believers. We look at people in the faith that we esteem. You know, you look at Pastor Nick, you, you look at Pastor Rob, you know, you, you look at people that they say, what? and you just think, oh, they're different than I am. They haven't faced the same, dile- you know, they have faced the same dilemmas okay, maybe even worse, maybe the enemy's even targeted him to silence them and gone after them, sometimes I think like I'm a magnet for this stuff, you know what I mean, because I'm just going to press through by the grace of God in the name of Jesus, but we tend to romanticize things, and we just think, well, I'm different, and we, we get an excuse, you know, and, and uh, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, fear has a voice, you know, faith has a voice, right? You know, when we were in worship, there was a spirit of faith here this morning. Did you pick up on it? Faith has a voice. Matter of fact, I would encourage you, if you're struggling in an area, learn to worship. Be the person on the front row. Crank it up in your car, crank it up in your house, learn to let the spirit of faith, and that way you can, you'll be so sensitized that when fear tries to manifest itself as reason, see I'm not talking about like paralyzing death grip fear here, I'm talking about fear that masquerades as reason. Okay, but when you're walking in faith, you discern it. It's the it's the counterfeit money. You don't. You just. Oh, wait a minute. That's not God. That's not God telling me to stay home. That's not God telling me to shut my checkbook. That's not God telling me to shut my mouth. That's not God telling me not to sign up for the mission thing. That's not God. This is good preaching. Are you hearing me? And you know, you know, fear even has a Christian voice. You know, the devil can mimic Christians. It goes like this. Well. I'm not called to do that. I'll pray about it. You know what that means in Christianese? No. That's I, I, I'll pray about it. Well, they, they don't want to hear from me because I don't speak well. Right? Is anybody, now, you know, I'm not going to ask you to show your hand. I know I'm not the only one that's heard these voices. Okay, They are real. Fear is a spirit, the Bible says. It is real. And you got to understand it's not about your personality. It's about your inheritance. Boldness is not volume. Boldness is just responding to God. Okay, You don't have to mimic somebody else's personality. You just have to speak and act as God leads you to speak and act and understand that the enemy is going to try to reason you out of it. You know, I got born again on the street corner through street preaching. Some 40- some and 50-year-old ladies got baptized in the Holy Ghost when I preached on the street corner. So, you know, after this all happens, and I had I, you know, never heard the gospel in my whole life, got born again. I was speaking at a church, and some guys I went to high school with came up to me. And I knew these guys not real well, but my name ends in T, and one of their names ended in W, and one of them ended in Z. So we are, to, you know, the alphabetical order list, you know what I mean? So for a couple years in high school, I was around them in homeroom. We, like, we were like a row apart when I showed up for school. And they came to the meeting, and they were talking to me afterwards. I said, no, wait a minute, let me get this straight. When you guys were in high school, you were Christians? Said, yeah. I said, really? That's very interesting. I said, Well, how is it that I could sit across from you for several years, several feet away, and I never knew anything about Jesus? I never heard his name. I never heard God praised. you never challenged me, you never talked to me, you never invited me to a meeting, you never said, Let me pray for you. How how did this all happen? How could you be born again, sit on a treasure, and never even attempt to share it with me? And here was their answer. They said we just didn't think you'd be interested. Now listen to me. Let's be real here. That There is not a higher form of judgment that you can pass on another person than to look at their outward circumstances and their outward demeanor and deem them unworthy of giving something that you got completely free. And I'm going to tell you, you know what motivates that? Fear. Say it. It's fear. When you are prompted, when you want, you say, oh, it's just awkward. Listen, most times when I share my faith, out, you know, I wouldn't preach here if I didn't do it in my life. But you know what? There's almost always that moment of awkwardness. Like, where are we going to go from? I was in auto parts this week, okay? because I still fix my own cars, my knuckles show it, you know what I mean, and and I'm in the auto parts, and and a young lady comes in, you know, and she's, the next, the guy comes out the waiter and says, oh, what do you need, she goes, I need a new life, I need a new car, and she, I'm like, okay, I said, I mean, you know, how do you miss that, I said, I said, lady, you need Jesus, you don't need the auto parts, (laughs) And, of course, I got two guys. I got a captive audience, right? You know what I mean? I don't know what I'm going to say next. Give me a break. And she said, oh, she said, you're right. She said, but he's probably tired of hearing from me. I said, oh, no, no, listen. He loves you so much. I said, and I'm proof that he's not tired of hearing from you because I'd be at the top of that list. You know, and then we carried on a little bit, and she pulled back a little bit, and I said, okay. So we got our sting, and we went together. I, I looked back, and I said, listen, you got to remember what I told you. This was, your, this was a divine appointment, you know? I mean, those things happen all the time. Or listen, they should be happening all the time if your antenna's up, if you're looking for your inheritance and not just your blessing. There are people that have their cupboards and their garages full, and they're blessed by God, and yet they're going to stand before God empty-handed because they've been paralyzed by fear masquerading as reason. It's time not to be afraid, to be afraid any longer in the name of Jesus. Now, here's what I want to walk you through. How does God move you? And I think this this must be a mystery to a lot of people (laughs) because I don't see God moving a lot of people. Okay? I'm not naming names, but okay. But again, I think we romanticize this. So here's how God moves you. First, he gets your attention. Then he gets your affection. He gets your attention. Then he gets your affection. And then he moves you into a place that you wouldn't move yourself into. He moves you into a place where you may be in complete intellectual doctrine and Christian agreement with, yet you don't have enough wind to move yourself. Let me give you an illustration that's very close to home. The reason I'm more than passively pro-life okay, is that God got my attention. He got my attention by Roy Yan Young being pregnant out of wedlock. Royanne Gerbach, as you know her today, one of our ministry leaders at this church for over 35 years. Okay? And when she came to see me, when I was her pastor, I said, Royanne, there's two things you can't do. You can't marry this guy because he's an idiot. <laughs> That's exactly what I told her, and I was right. Okay? And, and I went and paid a personal visit to him with some of the guys in the church that so you need to leave her alone. You need to leave her. I say, well, end up pretty bold for pastor. Oh, pastor goes after the wolf, right? I was, and he was a wolf, and I was going after him. All right? And I just said, he hid in his office, but we took five guys, a carload of guys, and we went six, actually, we visited him in love. Because <laughs> we love God and we love Roy Ann. Hallelujah. All right? But, you know, I'm driving home in my car that day, and I'm thinking, God, I know I told her the right answer, but. I couldn't defend myself theologically. I know I told her the right thing to do. And that opened up a can of worms that God was getting my attention. And then I started, then we started seeing post-abortive young, we were having some ministry at the University of Pittsburgh and, and, and these girls were coming and they were sharing how destroyed their lives were and then God started just wrenching my gut. See, first he gets your attention, then he gets your affection. And a lot of times we encounter God and we don't know the next step to tape, You know, we come to a church, we're in a prayer meeting, we're at home reading our Bible or the Lord just speaks to us, driving, he gets our attention and then the busyness and the cares of life come and steal that seed. And God wants to move us to that next direction. Okay? So what he does is he gets your attention, then he gets your affection, and he you see he starts drawing you, you know, and then and then you're looking and you're paying attention and you're you're getting moved in and and, and then you're and then he encourages you. Okay? He gives you he gives you some encouragement. Okay? And on the way down faith rises. Do you understand that? That's where faith, see, faith works when it has to work. If you ever want to operate in supernatural faith, if you want to write your own book instead of just reading somebody else's book, if you want to have a testimony instead of just, uh, you know, having somebody else's testimony, it's by putting yourself in a situation, letting the Lord encourage you in those situations, where you have to blame it on God. Okay, that's how you learn to defeat fear. There will always be intimidation. There will always be that moment of awkwardness. Do you understand that? And that's where you've got to plow through because you're not just after the blessing. You are are after the inheritance. You know, one of the saddest verses in the Bible is found in Ezekiel 22.30. That's the blood chapter where God says because of innocent blood, you know, the the, the nation's in a bad place. But at the end of that chapter, he said, I look for a man to stand in the gap. And I found none. Now listen, there's no resume. There's not like, I look for a man who could speak well. I look for a good Jewish boy. I look for, you know, somebody that, you know, came from a great home. I look for somebody that was well. There's no I just, you know. I mean, I'm not trying to lower the standard here. God says, look, I was looking for somebody with a pulse, okay? and, And there was none. And God was looking for what? Somebody to get into the gap. And a lot of times we're analyzing the gap. We're studying the gap. We're doing gap meetings. We're praying about the gap. We're reading gapologist studies of the gap. And God is looking for you to fit into the gap where he gets your attention and he gets your affection. And while you're looking into the gap, he helps you get down in the gap. That's how it works. I wasn't going to Egypt. Wendy Wright called me and said I needed to go, and then then the Lord said, yeah, you need to go. You know, you need to hang around the right people sometimes. you You need people that will provoke you. I'm serious. You should be, listen to me, you should be agitated in church sometimes. Sometimes when Pastor Nick's preaching, you should leave there with a little bit of like, who does he think he is to say that to me? Just a man of God speaking the word of God, that's all. It should agitate us into action. It should agitate our attention. It should agitate our affection where the Lord can move us. Listen to me. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. If Jesus had to be moved, where does that leave you and I, right? Right? But the Bible, the the portion I read to you today here, talks about not getting into a spirit of slavery. I feel like sometimes the church is a dark, barking dog. We're on a chain, and we bark, but we are chained down by slavery. We are chained down by inhibitions. We are chained down by the cares of life. We are chained down by what the world is going to think. We're chained down by what that lady or what that guy is going to react to if we share our faith. And we're not free. We're blessed, but we're missing our very inheritance. You know, one of the most life-changing things that happened to us early in our ministry that shaped this church a lot was our, our foray into the Soviet Union in the early 80s, before you were allowed to go, before there were no missionaries, before when there was still literally an iron curtain, you know. And we had worked our way in through a long series of events, working with some, some believers in uh, Stockholm and in Helsinki. And, and then we were taking a ship across the Baltic Sea to get into Estonia. And, uh, you know, that's how we were going to go. And, and we had planned on this. We had prayed on it. How, Pastor Rob? I mean, I mean, I'm talking about prayer meetings. I'm talking about we prayed not like for an hour. I mean, we prayed. We, we, we sought counsel. We made trips. We, I mean, this was a big undertaking, you know. And uh, I remember we were getting on the ship, and Aaron Jen was next to me. And I looked up at this ship, and there was a giant, the giant, the largest hammer and sickle I've ever seen in my life painted on the side of that ship. I remember this moment uh, so clearly, and I grabbed Aaron. I said, Aaron, this is a Soviet boat. He said, Keith, that's because we're going to the Soviet Union. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this was not gapology. This was my body, and I remember literally, you know, that, that heart in your mouth thing, you know what I mean, like when somebody almost hit you in the car, you know, you, and, I, and I knew at that moment, like, I got to press through this, you know, so then we get there, you know, and it's like cloak and dagger, it's like a movie, like you stand on this corner, if I wink with my left eye, it means turn left, I mean, these, these people would spend time in jail, like, they, they weren't going to go to jail if you were going to be stupid, Are you with me? So we finally get into this meeting. It's this building where they dug out the basement. We're we're meeting in a foxhole, basically, underneath where they, you know, dug this building out. It was a bunch of young people, mostly young people. And so we get in the building. My translator is this real dynamic young Russian guy. And uh, so, you know, and I'm still, like, a little on edge, right? Because I've heard all these stories about these people being in jail, you know? And... uh, so I said to the guy, I said, listen, aren't you afraid? That's what he says to me. He said, what are they going to do, kill us? I thought, okay, this is not the guy you want to hang around with. Like, like, mission notes 101, do not travel with people who don't care if they die or not. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, what have I, I mean, literally, that. And so you can read all the testimony, and there's testimonies in the book about the incredible things that happened. Several years later, we're preaching to thousands of people. People are getting saved by the acre. People are standing in line. Churches are exploding. God is doing something. But it all happened right there when we broke through that spirit of fear. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's where you got to say, I'm going to get in the water here. I had every opportunity to so say, you, uh, you know, I'm not going back there again. Of course, I ended up getting arrested on the next trip. Okay? But you know what God did for that? God just used that to, to give me credentials with the Russian believers. Then when we went back again, I mean, they really liked us. Because we were one of them now. Are you with me? Talk about Now, that's not the script I would have wrote. Do you understand that? See, most of us like the script we want to write, but God likes to intervene. God likes to shake things up. God wants to take all your Christian excuses, okay, and turn them into God testimonies. That's what he wants to do because he wants to give you an inheritance. We're going to stand before the Lord someday and what's parked in our garage is not going to be worth a whole lot but the souls that we've reached and the nations we have touched and the people we've prayed for and the life we've demonstrated. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Yes. They're going to mean a lot. Right. So we're holding, we're holding a healing service at our church, Sunday night service. My sister comes, she comes to the elder, I said, Debbie, her face was just like, you could tell, worried. So what? what is going on with you? She goes, they just moved into a new home, just built a new home, you know, people moving in, putting the lawns in, you know, the great American dream, couple kids, you know, another transformed life, you know, I mean, she got a great testimony, She said, well, I heard through the rumor mill that the lady across the street has inoperable brain cancer. She said, I don't even even know her. I don't even know her name. Just really, but God got her attention. And she couldn't stop thinking about this woman. And then God gets your affection. And see, a lot of times we put the brakes on because we start feeling like this is over my head. Listen to me. If I never did anything that was over my head, I would have never done anything. And I got a suspicion we're a lot more alike. Are you with me? And so we look at people, and we think, well, that's just their. No, listen to me. We're, listen, we got the same flesh and blood. Trust me. Trust me. So she was moved. And so she goes home. Here comes Charlene out of her house to get her mail, Inoperable brain cancer. Doctors sent her home to die. Nothing we can do for you. Debbie walks across the street, meets her at the mailbox, fumbles through some words, introduces herself. How do you say to somebody, I heard you're going to die? So she somehow said, I heard you're sick. And the lady, of course, says, yeah. And Debbie says, can I, can I pray for you? Listen, I want to tell you something. Prayer is one of the greatest forms of evangelism. There are people that say things to you at work, and you need to say, you know what, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? How are you? Oh, my dog is sick. Well, let's pray for the dog. I pray. I pray. I've raised dogs up. I mean, God is good. Are, are you with me? Okay. Debbie prays for her. Listen to this. Charlene comes back with x-rays. One with a tumor, one without her tumor. She's got a letter from her doctor. You had cancer. Now you don't. Charlene was on the 700 Club with Pat Robertson with her x-rays. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> You know what Debbie's gap was? 20 feet of asphalt. That's good. Your gap might be the, the owl between the desk next to you, between the student next to you. It might be the cubicle next to you. Stop being afraid of being afraid. God does not want you tied to a stake, barking at the gap. He wants you free where he can encourage you and put you in a place where you learn to believe God, where you learn to trust God, where your life takes on an eternal dimension, you still got to stop at red lights, change your oil, and cut your grass, unfortunately. But life changes. Are you with me? Not because of your resume, but because he's the God who intervenes. Are you with me? He wants to do that in you. He wants to do that through you. He wants to do that for you. He wants to do it because that's why he died so that you can have an inheritance. I want you to stand up with me this morning. And if children, heirs, also heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, by the way, that's not physical. That literally is some pascha where we get the word compassion, where we suffer with him. Jesus was moved. That's what that's talking about to be emotionally impacted, we could say, by somebody's lostness. To look at somebody and say, I have the gift of life, and not worry about what words are gonna come out of my mouth. That when you look at somebody and you say, how are you? You say it with such conviction that their heart opens. How are you today? And then when they tell you, I cannot tell you the things people have told me on airplanes. I mean, it's unbelievable. I'm a total stranger, and I start talking to people, and they think that you really care. And I do. And they start sharing their life with you, and you get to pray with them. Hallelujah. I prayed with a guy in an airplane. He said to me, hey, do you want to use my armor while you're in town? He said, If not, I have a Corvette. I'll get it for you. The only problem was I was changing planes. I was still tempted, though. Because <laughs> his life was touched on an airplane. Because somebody said, How you doing? You know, a lot of times I just say to people, If you guys are doing how I'm better than I deserve. I was in the TSA line, flying. The, the guy doesn't, you know, they don't even, they hey, how you doing? I said, oh, thanks for asking. I'm better than I deserve. He looks up and says, well, why? You? And we got a line behind us. This guy's in a full-blown engaged conversation. He don't give a flip about the line. <laughs> He's like examining me. Like, what does that mean? Why did you say that? Why do you think like that? I mean, we're having an intense conversation. And all I, I said was, I'm doing better than I deserve. Get your inheritance. While you're getting your blessing, get your inheritance. Let's attack fear this morning. Let's stop being afraid of being afraid. If you feel like there's any area in your life, if you want to be more free to share your faith, I want you to run up here real fast this morning. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm just going to lay hands on you, okay? You don't pray fear away, you act fear away. Are we three? But I'm going to ask God to start. Get, this is no time to be shy. The, the, whatever you do, don't be fearful right now. That'd be the worst thing to do. <laughs> Okay, it would be like heaping coals of fire on your head. But I'm just going to come to you real quick. I'm going to lay hands on you. I want you to get your hands up. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, just start praying in the Spirit and ask God to stir it up. Now, I just walked you through this thing. And I want you to remember these two words, attention and affection. There are some of you right now, you, you, that person across the street, that person you work with, somebody in your family, you, they, you know, they keep coming to your mind. And when you think about them, you know, there's, there's, you're getting emotionally engaged. God's trying to move you. He's trying to move you. And somewhere along the line, you're going to have to do something that is beyond your first birth. You're going to have to act out of your second birth. You're going to have to overcome that awkward moment of starting that conversation and just saying, Hey, I heard you were sick, or I heard you're going through a hard time. I heard your husband left. I heard... Can I pray for you? Can I just tell you what he did for me? Okay, get your hands up in Jesus' name. We're going to do business. Something's going to happen today in Jesus' name. Some of you are getting off your leash, off the leash in Jesus' name. Right now. This morning, in the name of Jesus, I break fear in the name of Jesus. I curse fear in the name of Jesus. I curse fear in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I speak the fear. I command fear to be released in the name of Jesus. Rosso, casa, basso, kosha, raso bofraso In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, silence is not golden. Silence is death. Loosen her, God. Give her the tongue of the Lord. God, I pray you uncap a reservoir. God, that you move a well, that you sprout her up. God, she leaks on people in public, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the stirring. Thank you for the creativity of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. Sir, I feel like there's there's times that you're literally getting a word of knowledge for people. Just go ahead and shoot it. Just go ahead and give it. Go ahead and blast it in the name of Jesus. That's a great form of evangelism. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. No fear. Intolerance. I'm talking about intolerance here. I'm talking about getting off the leash in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus.